Well, some things never change. A couple weeks ago, Marlene and I went to Costco and dropped about 300 bucks on groceries because some things never change. <laughs> a couple days later, I walked into the kitchen and noticed one of our sons, who remained nameless, uh, standing in front of the refrigerator with the refrigerator door open, looking aimlessly into the refrigerator. I decided, like Moses, to turn aside and see this great sight, because sometimes you need to see creatures in their natural habitat. And as he's looking into the refrigerator for quite a while, actually, he finally closes the refrigerator door and says, we have no food in this house. Now, you should know, first of all, I deserve that because I did the same thing to my parents. Just, you know, I remember my dad saying, you know, there's no more food in the refrigerator than there was three minutes ago when you looked, you know. And I would say, there's no food in this house. But the second thing was, he actually wasn't lying. They ate all that food in two days. Because some things never change. But while it's true some things never change, it seems like we have to constantly remind ourselves of that these days because of how much change we're experiencing in our world today. There is, it seems, in our world, no end to the rapid change of almost everything. I mean, during this pandemic, we've been forced to change how we meet together, when we get together, how many of us can get together, how closely we stand when we're together, how we wear a mask when we're together. And there have been changes to sports, schools, restaurants, gyms, theaters, libraries, financial institutions. Everything, it seems, is changing. And sometimes the changes that we thought were going to be just for a couple of weeks have been more than a, a couple of weeks. In fact, some of them may even be permanent and what sometimes happens is that when we get our eyes on the change, we begin to feel a lot of uncertainty. Have you, have you noticed this? Even, even when you, we come into church now, there's a, have you felt this? Even when you come in, there's like a, almost a sense of uncertainty. And, 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 and sometimes, if you're not careful, uncertainty can lead to fear. And when you begin to see things through the lens of fear, just imagine uh, fear as being a glasses that you wear, right? So when I look through these lenses, it changes what I see. Magically, I can now read my notes because I'm looking through the lenses. Well, fear is like a set of lenses that distorts everything you see. And the lens of fear, what it does is it magnifies problems and it minimizes hope. And that's true even when the fear isn't an irrational fear. And even when there's legitimate reason to be concerned, fear can cause you to see things incorrectly. It can distort your perception. Now, I know this week a lot of what's been on a lot of people's minds are some of the prophecies that have been online. Uh, I know this because many of you have sent them to me. And I just want to say, I'm trying to keep up with all the videos and things that people are sending me to read, uh, but I am not able to do it. But I'm doing my best. Uh, but one of the videos that's out there that's been kind of making circles is, is a prophecy about things that are going to happen this fall. And, and I want you to know that as your pastor, I do believe that we've got some challenging days ahead of us. I do. And I also want to say at the same time, very pastorally here, and please hear my heart in this, if watching uh, end-time prophecy and, and focusing on eschatology, if that makes you love Jesus more, have at it. Okay, if it makes you love your neighbor more, because those are two great commandments, right? Jesus said the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. So if, if, if being totally into end-time prophecy makes you do those two things, I'll join you. Well, maybe not this week, but in the future, I'll, I'll, I'll join you, okay? 
But if the fruit of focusing on end-time prophecy is fear, then that's not the spirit of Jesus. 2 Peter 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. That, that spirit of fear isn't from God, but of power. That's the spirit we have of love and of a sound mind. And sometimes when we focus on all the change that's going on and we fix our eyes on the news about change, it leads us to uncertainty. And what happens is the lens of fear causes us to lose confidence and to even lose hope. So here's the big idea of the message today. We're going to step away from our series of what to wear that we've been in in Colossians 3 because I feel like this is just a word that the Lord's put on my heart. And the big idea is this. Our hope is grounded on unchanging truth. Some things never change. And those things that never change, those are the ground of our hope. See, for a lot of people in the world, their hope is grounded on their retirement account or how well the economy's doing or their home values. And the problem with that is if you place your hope in anything that can be taken from you, then your hope can be taken from you. And the truth is, housing values go up and down. And, and maybe, maybe a banker friend can explain to me why my housing value is up when they assess taxes, but it's down when I want to refinance. I don't get it. <laughs> but the truth is, housing values go up and down. Uh, bank accounts rise and fall. Financial conditions ebb and flow. So what? So build your life on. Trust your future to something that doesn't go up and down, rise and fall, ebb and flow. In other words, trust something that is unchanging. Think of it this way. Use this analogy. There's a ticker on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange that everyone pays attention to, and it tells you what is stocks are up, what's down, what's unchanged. So I was thinking, what if there was like a ticker at New Life Church about God that just ran on, across the back of the screen as I was preaching? It would read something like this. God's character today, unchanged. God's power today, unchanged. God's patience today, unchanged. God's commitment to justice today, unchanged. God's mercy today, unchanged. God's love for you today, unchanged. And how about this one? God's goodness today, unchanged. See, the market has dropped and it may again tomorrow, but nothing in heaven has changed. God is still sovereign. Jesus still sits on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is still our rock. Jesus is still our fortress. He's our place of refuge in time of need. He's our anchor in time of a storm. He's our only hope. Jesus is still our great high priest. Jesus is our advocate. He's our ever-present help in time of need. And by the way, Congress doesn't get to vote on that. And the United Nations doesn't make a resolution about that. And the next president will not have to make a deal for that to happen. And, and, and listen, the kingdom of God will never... Mark my words, the kingdom of God will never need a bailout from the U.S. Treasury. I might, but the kingdom of God will never need a bailout from the U.S. Treasury. See, when you're in a period of history when things seem chaotic and everything is changing, it's easy to fix your eyes on the changing things and forget that some things never change. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, it's changing, but what is unseen is eternal. 
So I want to take a few minutes and just talk to you about some eternal truth this morning. I want, I want to talk about some things that, that are true. They were true before the pandemic. They're true during the pandemic. They're still going to be true after the pandemic. 10,000 years from now, the things I'm about to tell you are still going to be true. And because these truths are unchanging, we have solid ground for hope this morning. So I'm going to give you four things that never change. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, four Four, we normally only have three. I know, it's bonus point Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> bonus point Sunday, all right? Now, now, here's what occurred to me as I was kind of thinking through this, is that these unchanging truths really answer the deepest questions of human existence. They really do. If, if you'll get a hold of these, if these truths that I'm going to share with you, it answers the questions of origin, identity, and destiny. Where do we come from? Who are we? And where are we going? And if you can answer those three questions, the deepest questions of human existence, if you can answer those questions from unchanging truth, you have a firm foundation to have hope no matter what's going on in your life. So let's look at them. You ready? Oh, man. Oh, let's try that. Are y'all ready? Okay, okay, right. Number one, number one unchanging truth. There is a God and you're not him. That was true before the pandemic. That's going to be true after the pandemic and a million years from now, God will still be God and you won't. Now, why is that so important? Here's why. Because the ant- if there really is a God, that changes everything. And I think we all agree on that. In fact, many debates I've had with some friends that are atheists, as we're debating things, we don't agree on hardly anything. But the one thing we agree on is that the answer to the question, does God exist, would affect everything. I mean, if there's a God, it affects every single aspect of your life. It affects how you see hardships. It affects how you see death. It affects how you spend your money, how you raise your kids, how you spend your time, what you value. And according to the Bible, it's really a bad idea to try to do life apart from God because you weren't designed for that. So every situation that you're in, no matter what it is, even if it's a pandemic, you need to see the situation in the context of God's existence. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, I don't want to be offensive to, if there's somebody here who's not a believer, uh, who's an atheist, uh, you should know that in Hebrew, fool doesn't mean intellectual deficiency, it means a moral deficiency. Which, now that I think about it, probably doesn't make you feel any better. But the point is, (laughs) believing in God affects everything, even your morals, And you weren't designed to do life apart from the idea of God's existence. Now, before you you, you dismiss this as saying, well, this is not applicable to me because I already believe in God, I want you to know this. There is such a thing as practical atheism. You know what that is? That is when you say you believe in God, but you live as if he doesn't exist. In fact, Craig Rochelle wrote a book entitled, kind of provocatively, The Christian Atheist. Subtitled, Believing in God, but Living as if He Doesn't Exist. And so he has chapters like this. I believe in God, uh, but I worry all the time. I believe in God, but I don't forgive anybody. (laughs) I believe in God, you know, uh, but I don't give any money away or whatever. You know, it's all these different chapters of, of how we say we believe in God, but we live as if He doesn't exist. Because if you really believe in God, it will affect everything. It'll affect everything. There's a story in the book of Numbers. 
chapters uh, 13 and 14. You probably remember this, the nation of Israel led by Moses. They get to the edge of the promised land and God tells Moses to send spies in to spy out the land, to explore the land. And there's 12 of them that go out and uh, 10 come back with a bad report and two have a good report. You remember, did you ever sing the song when you were a kid? 12 men went to spy on Cain and 10 were bad and two were good. Did you, did you ever? Okay, okay. So you remember the story. Well, they get back, Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, the 10 gave an account of Moses. They gave this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and, and the cities are fortified and are very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And you find out in the next chapter, he says, The reason we can do it is because God's with us, not with them. Verse 31, watch this. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Now, I want you to notice this. It wasn't a bad report because it was factually inaccurate. It wasn't. The land was prosperous, the people were strong, they were bigger than the Israelites, the cities were fortified, but God considered it a bad report because nowhere is God in the equation for these people. It's not a matter of being positive or negative, it wasn't, he said, well, that's a negative report. No, it wasn't that, it wasn't about it being factually accurate, it's a matter of, did you leave God out of the discussion? Is your perception of the situation formed by God or not? That's the question. For them, it wasn't. And God said, that's a bad report. So a good report, the one Caleb brought, is one that simply takes God seriously. So let me ask, do you see your situation in the context of God? Are you seeing the things that are happening in our world today in the context of God from God's perspective? Or are you seeing it from the government's perspective? Or the media's perspective. Or God help us, the social media perspective. Now here's the beauty of this. This whole idea, there is a God and I'm not him. It's a beautiful idea for a couple of reasons. First of all, the fact that there's a God and I'm not him relieves me of a lot of pressure. I mean, this is actually very freeing because it means the existence of the world is not up to me. This is, God holds the world together. Not Tim Parrish. This is good news. Shannon even chimed in on that one. That was, it, it, let, me, let me use this analogy. A number of years ago, Marlene and I, we went to Central Asia to live. It was like early, early 90s, and we're flying on the old Soviet airline, Aeroflot. And we have so many Aeroflot stories. It's amazing. Um, but we're flying there, and as we're flying in, you know, uh, we, we, we had a moment where we hit a bunch of turbulence when we're flying. And I don't know how you are on planes. I, I, I enjoy flying on planes, but I hate turbulence. I mean, like, I just don't like it, right? And so we're hitting a lot of turbulence, and I'm gripping this, the, the armrest, like, so tight that my knuckles are turning white, and I'm sliding down in the seat. Like, I'm getting lower, and I'm, and I'm holding on like this because we're hitting the turbulence. And, and I'll never, Marlene looks at me, and she goes, hey, you know that doesn't change anything, right? That, that and I said to her, I am single-handedly holding this plane in the sky right now. 
Don't tell me that doesn't. But obviously she's right. If you're in a plane, it don't matter how hard you grip the seat. Either it's going to fly or it ain't. And you gripping the seat don't change anything. You know what? That's like, that's like worry. You, you, worry is just like, I'm gripping the seat. Man, you in the plane. It's either flying or it ain't. That's it. That's it. And you know what? It's really good news to know God's in control, not me. So you know what I can do? I can relax even during turbulence. Well, sometimes I can. But uh, really, I have the theology to relax even during turbulence. It also means, you know what else this means that there, there is a God and it's not me? It also means life isn't about me. Because sometimes when hardships happen in our life, we get offended as if life is about us. <laughs> So when hardships come, problems arise, tough situations emerge which require change, I have a lot of freedom now because it's not about me. It's about God. It's for God. The world exists for him. The world exists by him. The world exists through him. So whatever happens, it's not about me. And that's very freeing. So that's the first truth. The second truth that is unchanging, that will be true 10,000 years from now, uh, and I promise the other truths will be shorter. Uh, number two is this. Jesus loves me, this I know. See, when the world seems to be crumbling around you, you've got to go back to the simplest of all truths and, and, and that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt is true. And if you ever went to Sunday school as a kid, you know that little song. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And the Bible does tell us so. In, in Exodus chapter 34, in the most quoted verse in the Bible, that's quoted by more other biblical authors than any other verse, okay, is Exodus 34, 6. I don't know if you remember this or not. Uh, Moses is on the mountain. He's getting the second set of tablets of the Ten Commandments and the law of God. And the, and, and the presence of God passes in front of him. And here's what he hears. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I think that's quoted so often because it goes to the core of who God is, and this is unchanging truth. God said in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 54, 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Amen. Everything else can be falling apart. But his love is, is unfailing. It's unshakable. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. <laughs> it means his love has no end. And it's not just some sort of ethereal sort of love. We can see he demonstrated his love for us. Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross demonstrates his love. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, when everything around you is shaking and it, and it feels like it's tumbling down and you're tempted to wonder, God, where, where are you? Do you even care? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. 
and see there his love for you that doesn't change. It's constant. His love for you isn't greater when you do everything right and it's not less when you stub your toe and you say a bad word. Because his love isn't based on your performance. It's based on his character. It's who he is. It's what he does. God is love and he doesn't love you because you're worthy. His love is what makes you worthy. You know, every single human being you ever meet There's two things that's true about them. Number one, they're made in the image of God. And number two, Jesus died for them. In the words of John Wesley, he said when he saw a beggar, he didn't see someone in rags. He saw someone purpled over in the blood of Christ. And every person you meet is made in the image of God, and Jesus died for them. He demonstrated his love for them in that, and that includes you. This is our identity. This is is who I am. This is who you are, and that never changes. Everything in the world can be changing, but that doesn't change. Number one, there is a God, you're not him. Number two, Jesus loves me, this I know. Number three, we are being made into the likeness of Christ. See, no matter what is happening, no matter how dark the storm clouds get, we can be confident in this unchanging truth that whatever comes into our lives, God can and will turn it around to make us more like Jesus. I mean, we know this even on a human level. That sometimes things that appear to be the worst thing that ever happened to us turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to us. I mean, you probably have a story uh, of something like that in your life. Uh, This week, I actually heard um, Rick Warren tell a story of back in the 80s. uh, He was in Tennessee, I think it was. um, And he meets an elderly gentleman. And in the course of conversation, the elderly gentleman says, best thing that ever happened to me was when I got fired. And, and Rick Warren said, well, it sounds like there's a story there. Tell me about it. And he goes, sure. He said, I, I was a sawmiller all my life, sawmiller. And one day, there was kind of an economic downturn in the area where he was, uh, and the boss calls him in and says, we've got to let you go. We've got to fire you. You're, you're gone. Your job is over. He goes home. He tells his wife, and his wife says, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> and he goes, well, I always wanted to start a construction business and, like, build a hotel. And she's like, Okay, so they mortgage their home, they borrow some money, and they go in to build this, start building a hotel, right? And it turns out, as Rick Warren is telling the story, that the guy he's talking to is Wallace Johnson. Some, some, some people on the front row are like, Wallace Johnson, let me see if this helps you. The hotel he built was called the Holiday Inn. Turns out he, he became a multi-multi, died, he died like in the late 80s, I think, but he was a multi-multi-multi-millionaire, and he said to Rick Warren, if I could find the guy who fired me, I would go up and say, thank you so much. So, so we know that even on a human level, sometimes what appears bad at first can be turned around and worked for our good, and sometimes what do we, you know what we do? We judge things too quickly. We say, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. Well, it might be, but maybe not. So, so we know this to be true, but as great as that is, and that's a great truth, okay, this truth is greater because what this is saying is no matter what comes into our lives, our destiny is that we are being made like Jesus. Romans 8, verse 28 and 29, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, for those who have been called according to his purpose. And look at the next sentence. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's our destiny. 
to be like Jesus. It's not just that God is working everything for our good, although that is great, and that would be a wonderful promise, amazing by itself. It's that the good that he's working toward is us being like Jesus. That is our destiny. It's said many times in the New Testament. I'll read you a couple times. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. 2 Corinthians 3.18, listen to this one. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. See, even in the face of dark, stormy days, even when we face terrible challenges, we can have an unshakable hope because we know this unchanging truth that God is going to use this to make me more like Jesus. And when you take that kind of eternal perspective, you can can almost get excited about problems. You can almost understand James chapter 1. Remember James chapter 1 where he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of different kinds. These have come so that the testing of your faith develops what is it, endurance or perseverance. And he says, all of this has got to happen so that you'll be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So that's, because when you first read that verse, it's like, consider it pure joy when you have trials. Are you kidding me? It's so crazy. But if you look at it this way, whenever you go through, I'm being made like Jesus. This, not even this can stop me. First John 3, 2. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That is our destiny. And things are shaken in this world. Remember that unchanging truth. Uh, no matter what happens, he's making me like Jesus. He's making me like Jesus. And number four. The bonus point in today's quiz, there is life after life. Got to remember that. You're going through life in shaky times. You got to remember there's life after life. This, This life isn't all there is. All of this right here, this is just a preview of coming attractions, okay? Our faith isn't just helping us get through this life. It does help us get through this life, but it's not just, it's preparing us for the next Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 15, 49. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be more pitied than all men. I mean, later in the same chapter, he says, listen, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That means we're not going to rise from the dead. So what should we do? Just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Right? I mean, that's what Paul's saying. Explicitly, he says that in 1 Corinthians 15. Basically, what he's saying is this. If, if, if this is the, all there is, if this is the end of life, if there's not a resurrection of the dead, go home, bake a cake, eat the whole thing. Because it doesn't matter. I mean, better yet, go to Krispy Kreme, get two, dozens while, two dozen donuts while they're still hot. If there's no resurrection from the dead, if this is all there is, you might as well grab all the pleasure and power you can now, but this isn't all there is. There's life after life. This life isn't the end. One of my favorite scenes in, in, in the, the film, Return of the King. Uh, they're at Minas Tirith and, and they're under attack and the enemy is pounding on the door. They're in this stronghold and, and the enemy's pounding. He's about to ready to burst through the door and Pippin is there and he looks at Gandalf and he says, because it looks like they're going to die. It looks like it's all over and, and, and Pippin looks at Gandalf and he just says, I didn't think it would end this way. 
Gandalf says, end? No, this isn't the end of the journey. Death is just another path we all must take. And when you cross through the gray veil of tears, all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. And Pippin says, what? Gandalf, see what? And he says, um, white shores, green pasture, and a swift sunrise. And Pippin says, that doesn't sound so bad. And Gandalf gets this big smile, and he says, no, it isn't. Now, we don't get our theology from Lord of the Rings, just so everybody knows, okay? But here's where we do get our theology. See, there is a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be here. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It was prophesied in Isaiah 65. It was affirmed in 2 Peter 3. But the greatest picture is found in the book of Revelation. A picture that's way better than Gandalf's. Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then on the last page of the Bible, it says this, Revelation 22, verse 3, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's where we're going. Listen, when you're you're tempted to lose hope because of all the changes, all the difficulties in our world, remember this unchanging truth. The journey doesn't end here. There is life after life. That's where we're going. So remember, there is a God. You're not him. Jesus loves me, this I know. We're being made into the likeness of Christ. And there is life after life. Because some things... They never change.